I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. Baselayer is sponsored by Diginex and by its digital asset exchange, Equas. As an exchange, Equas is focused on delivering innovative product compliance, fairness, and most importantly, trust. In a time when institutional investors are beginning to seriously review digital assets for their portfolio, these are key elements necessary to build bridges to new investors. Equas currently provides digital asset spot trading and perpetual futures, and plans to soon offer dated futures and options. Parent company Diginex also provides capital markets advisory, asset management, and custody. To check them out, you can go to diginex.com and equos.io. That is E-Q-U-O-S.io. This is David. This is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Unir, the founder at Paraswap, with me today. We're going to really have a great conversation about this idea of decentralized finance, of DEXs, of aggregation of a lot of the market out there. This is something that has been a topic and something that a lot of people have been paying attention to, trying to remove the disparity and kind of bringing it all together into one place. Munir, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Great, uh, Great talking to you. Thanks for having me. So what we like to do on the show is that before we get too far into what paraswap is and what you're doing there what got us to this point how did you become a founder of this what was the what was the inspiration behind creating paraswap what did you notice in the market that needed to be addressed talk to us a little bit about that and also kind of anything that you did prior to paraswap that really kind of lent itself to what you're doing today yeah so the idea started uh, back in late 2018 uh, i was in lisbon in web summits um talking chatting with entrepreneurs uh and crypto entrepreneurs uh, at the time and it also it was the same time uh where we were at more or less what you can call crypto winter uh, after the 2017 uh, bubble and mm-hmm. what I notice is that people are still working on those 2017-ish projects uh, that were not really solving concrete problems. And that came the very early inspirations of building something that will deliver value uh, that is aligned with the promises of crypto. So I spent a few days uh, digging dive into it. What are the real problems that should be solved? And uh, I bumped into decentralized exchanges. I was already a user of Ether Delta at the time. Uh, it was the last days of Ether Delta, and it was ugly, too slow, and not really great as a user experience. So I thought about how about building a better decentralized exchange uh, that will uh, deliver uh, better to a better experience to the to the end user. So that was the initial idea. And uh, I was still a freelancer at the time, so I was already have a full-time job. 
And a few months later, after digging dive, uh, more dive into, into other projects, I noticed that, well, uh, other DEXs are doing a great job. At the time, there was Xerox, Kyber, Uniswap were just starting. And so the idea was, how about we create an aggregator um, that can be used by anyone? Uh, with a nice UX, uh, better accessibility, and, and better onboarding of, of anyone that can can be used by anyone. So I started working on this in April, in late April, early May, in last last year, and had the first version in in June, uh, which seemed to be great. It was a UI that looked a little bit like a Coinbase, uh, and the premise was this can be used by anyone which was a naive approach uh, at the time and was too early, way too early uh, to the markets, uh, which brought me into the current version of Parasop, which is a real decentralized exchange aggregator or uh, what I like to call it a middleware that allows users, traders, wallets to access DeFi. So let's get into a few different things here. So I want to talk a little bit about the macro reasons behind this. And so... DeFi is itself, you had total value locked, whether that's a metric we all agree upon or not, of about $830 million at the end of April. That obviously skyrocketed, uh, reaching well over $11 billion, you know, a few weeks ago. You know, if you're looking at the DEX trading volume on some of the analytical tools out there, in September, we hit $25 billion. Um, that was actually following a very strong August where we hit uh, about 12 and a half, 13 billion. And so you had almost a doubling in September. We've seen a little bit of a cooling off period, as most people will obviously agree here in October. Um, and so I would love to get your sense of the drivers here. You know, obviously, as you were aggregating um, this market, uh, and we'll talk more about that specifically. But before we get too far into that, obviously one of the big components here and kind of having context here is that you are effectively in that middle, as you said, middleware, of aggregating all of that volume, all of that activity on the decentralized exchange side. If you could opine, and again, I'm not looking for specifics, but if you could opine, what do you think really led to that massive liftoff into the summer months and then into September in decentralized volume? Well, I think there are many factors. Uh, DeFi traction started, in my opinion, a year ago. Um, it was small, but was growing uh, in, a, uh, in a significant way. Uh, but obviously, what led to this explosion is all this liquidity farming, uh, liquidity mining, and yield farming craze uh, that we had last year initiated by compound uh, then took over with all those uh, uh wi-fi uh, and sushi and other other yield farming projects um and the main motivation for users are the returns that were really really high and uh, i think those are the main reasons why would people use DeFi instead of uh, staying on centralized ex centralized exchanges or, or on cfi uh, those significant returns. This is the main driver. Uh, but even though it can be seen as, I would say, too excessive and seem a little bit like a bubble, 
but this is what led uh, people to be introduced into DeFi. So I'd say um, I never, I, I have some friends who are traders, full-time traders, uh, who were never uh, looking into into DEXs or DeFi. And right now they got into the, the loophole and they're not, I don't see them going out anytime soon. Right. And so the idea is that you or Paraswap is a source of liquidity for this market. Um, talk to us about how you are actually sourcing that liquidity. How are you doing that? Is it API? Is it something else? Talk to us about kind of how that works in this marketplace. Uh, so you can see us uh, if you look at our UI as an Expedia or a booking.com for liquidity. Uh, this can be decentralized exchanges, but also for lending protocols. Uh, for instance, uh, you have ETH, you want to sell ETH uh, for DAI, but you also want to earn yield on, on the DAI. And you see that Compound has the best uh, APY. Uh, in one transaction, you can go from uh, ETH to DAI, and then the DAI will be deposited into Compound. But also other use cases is uh, swapping of uh, APY. For instance, uh, as a user, you have, um, say, ETH on Compound making 5%, and you can switch into uh, DAI on Aave making 7%. So Let's, this let's can be stop there for a second. Let's stop there for a second. So this is a complex kind of new paradigm shift. And so for a lot of the people out there who are not that kind of native to digital assets and to what's happening with yield farming. We've addressed it a lot on the show over the last few months, as obviously this is becoming a very big thing. But again, this idea of making you know digital assets like Ethereum and others out there productive. So whereas you would have just gotten them before and you would have kind of obviously speculated or hold you know them for a period of time, you have now had the ability with things like Paraswap where you can effectively lend them to other protocols and platforms and digital assets and receive that yield in return, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then, so talk to us about that. So it's a yield game, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. It's effectively what digital asset is providing the highest yield. Is that kind of what happened in the world of DeFi over the last few months? Is that kind of when people say things ran hot? Do you think it's because it was this kind of you know, higher yield game where all these digital assets said, okay, here's 15% yield. Oh, here's 20% yield. Talk to us about that. Do you think that's going to normalize over a period of time? Uh, I think this is a, I would say the biggest uh, motivation. Uh, why would people use a DeFi product is the APY. And, but also you have to add into this, the appreciation of the underlying tokens. For instance, people who are uh, doing yield farming on Wi-Fi, uh, by doing yield farming, by accumulating at the end more Wi-Fi, but also speculating that the value, the market value of Wi-Fi will appreciate. So those are two factors that will drive in people into making this, uh, this liquidity mining or yield farming. Um, on uh, your, your question was, how do we participate in this, if I'm not mistaken? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, you can see us as a raw technology uh, that can help traders to optimize uh, those rebalancing. Uh, so I have a position as a trader on, on one asset or markets, and I can switch to another position on another markets in one transaction, which will save time and optimize the rates. 
Uh, one example will be uh, to come back to Ave compound, which are like the most simple, simplest, uh, simplest examples. Is I go from a five percent to a seven percent, but also using an aggregator, maybe I will get slightly more than seven percent because uh, the transactions are broken down onto multiple steps. In each step, try tries to uh, increase uh, the target amount. So for instance, going from a C die to die, it will try to give me more die than if I would to do it uh, alone on compound, for instance. Mm -hmm. And it will from die to ETH, it will try to deliver as much ETH as possible. So that's the benefit of using an aggregator like Parasol. And so again, I want people to feel comfortable with this. This is not that dissimilar to things in traditional finance where you would have smart, smart order routing, where you would have pools of liquidity out there whether that's provided by OTCs, whether it's provided by market makers, et cetera, et cetera. There are pools of liquidity out there that have specific bid and asks out there. And effectively, you are just aggregating all of that, very similar to things that might happen in dark pools and other kind of things on traditional finance. It's just happening in digital assets. Is that correct? Uh, I think it's correct. Yes, it's you can see us. Uh, you can make the analogy with uh, with centralized finance uh, that we are playing this role. Uh, the key differences is first one is custody. Uh, mm-hmm. There is no need to give up uh, the custody of of the funds. Uh, there's also guarantees uh, that the transaction will be atomic, uh, which is not necessarily the case in CFI and not the case absolutely not the case in in, in centralized exchanges. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a guarantee that's given by the blockchain that the transaction will either fully execute or fully reverse. Right. And that's uh, that's what I think are the the main uh, are the main uh, benefits of using a blockchain like Ethereum instead of using CFI. Right. And so this is all happening on a protocol. This is not happening with a board of directors. This is not happening with managing directors. This is all happening on a protocol. Correct. Yes, it's happening on a smart contract that is open source. And that's made on purpose so that anyone can double check, uh, even if the majority of users are not technical, but others uh, are. And if something is not right of what we're doing, they can still, I mean, uh, talk to us or like be be public about about uh, about what they found out. And mm-hmm. this is something also out of we do it out of transparency, and it became the standard. So there are very few uh, smart contracts like in protocols. They are not open source. It cannot be double checked. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this, you know, kind of dispute resolutions. There have been others that have used things like Aragon Court. And uh, well, obviously, we've had Luis on from Aragon a while back. Uh, but there is something called Aragon Court, which is more of a decentralized approach to dispute resolution. Um, and there's also questions around governance. How do things, you know, obviously operate on Paraswap? Are you moving or have you moved to more of a DAO type of an approach with with governance? And also, you know, as I said, I would love to hear about dispute resolution. How are you uh, kind of dealing with that? Are you using some of the new techniques like Aragon Quarterlers out there? So we this is the future of Paraswap. Uh, right now, uh, the system is relying on uh, on the blockchain uh, enforceability. So there is no need for any kind of governance uh, right now. Uh, but there are some things we cannot do right now on Ethereum. Uh, for instance, what if we want to um, make an atomic swap between a Bitcoin and buy a ball 
or deposited to compound directly. Like I sell and buy Bitcoin for a stable coin, mm -hmm. but I want the stable coin to earn yield. Those are things like cannot be enforceable uh, in Ethereum because it's simply not the same blockchain. But more than that, how about I want to sell uh, Tesla by Tesla shares and I want to swap them for a bat uh, and I want this bat to generate yield. So that those are complex, more complex use cases that cannot be used uh, today in, in, in Ethereum, at least in a non-convenient way. Um, so uh, what we're thinking is building a protocol that will sit in the middle and there will be participants that will facilitate those trades and uh, will allow anyone to go from a Bitcoin or whatever asset um, into another asset that is not in the same nature, like not running within the same blockchain uh, instantly. And that's also our value proposition of, of Paraswap. Um, and in those cases, uh, since they are complex, uh, they need to introduce some new uh, governance mechanisms. Uh, right now, I can, can't tell you more because those subjects are still in the work. Mm -hmm. But this is what we're heading. You can see us as an Uber who tries to move value from point A to point B instantly in a decentralized way as Uber move object from point A to point B. So for those that are providing liquidity, again, going back to that kind of idea of the governance or specific tokenized things that you may be doing in the future, for those that are providing liquidity, are they going to be incentivized by those uh, protocol fees and by that uh, potential specific governance token, do you think? Yeah, obviously, there always needs to be uh, some kind of an incentive. Uh, the incentive you can think about uh, are tokens, but I don't think tokens are the only incentive that should be that should be there because the issue we with with incentive we're relying only on token economics is that there is so much token that can exist uh, in general and what happens when the liquidity mining uh, will be over over four years five years six years there should be a natural incentive which is which are fees and those are the mechanics we'll, we are working on and how to create a native uh, incentive for for liquidity providers and then potentially if it's necessary add another token economics but yeah that those are this is our approach is to build native business approaches and then potentially add other kinds of incentives got it talk to us about the role of amms so for those that don't know there is obviously uh market makers but then there's this new idea of automated market makers talk to us about the role of amms as it relates to paraswap if there is any uh, well, I think one of the main uh, reasons why Parasop exists is uh, thanks between codes to AMMs uh, because of their automated price discovery mechanisms that, uh, that they that they offer. And also um, AMMs bring brought the necessity of aggregators. Uh, AMMs can be great, but also can be not perfect at all for the end user because the prices can be really, really bad. But using aggregators with AMMs uh, allow the user to make um, significantly better trades. So I would say uh, thanks to him that, that we exist. And also it's funny, a year ago, I was making a talk in, in, uh, in a conference in London about how AMMs are going to disrupt uh, older book exchanges. And this is what we see happening today. And I think also AMMs are much more convenient uh, to uh, liquidity providers because mm -hmm. uh, there is a very low barrier to entry. It's uh, it's a UI where users can put token A, B, or C, and that's it. They're done. Uh, instead of an older book where it requires more financial sophistication and maybe technical setup, 
and that's why I think AMMs are yeah took took this uh, high uh, significant success. So I would love to get your opinion. So I, I believe that one of your integrations is with MetaMask, correct? Yeah. And so they have uh, tried to. It looks like they're trying to effectively monetize a lot of the things that they've done over the last few years. And so with that, I'm curious, you know, do you see other integrations coming into place? What do you see as a relationship with you and MetaMask going forward? If you could, uh, you know, provide some color on that. Um, so yes, MetaMask integrated the Parasoft API and they are monetizing this, this integration. And I think on the eyes of end users, they are getting a better rate than the markets and also getting a convenient usage. And I'm talking about uh, the retail, not uh, the DeFi power users. Uh, they're getting all this uh, this uh, convenience of use, of use, security, and, and, and all of this that justifies a fee. This is uh, why also we are making a bet on, on B2B. And um, I also we have other integrations that are going to be announced uh, very soon that also follow the same path. Uh, but this is for us one way to have uh, wallets and partners monetize. There's another way, what we call performance fees, uh, which are what if we delivered a better price than expected, for instance, a user expecting 400 die for the ETH and we delivered 410 dice. So what we do, we share this uh, delta, this five die, and wallets are free to either keep this delta for themselves, like those five dice they received, or to give it back to users. We talk to some wallets who are who have some token economics, uh, so that their users, if they stake a token, they will uh, have uh, they will keep those uh, those fees. And those are yeah, monetization mechanisms we are discussing with uh, with wallets, but also also other wallets that offer a lot of services like security services, uh, creep preservation services, like even if the user would literally lose their phone, uh, they can still uh, uh, like reconstruct back their, their wallets. And those are very high value features, uh, which also justifies a fee. A few other quick questions, and obviously this is great insight into what you've built. And looking at some of the analytic platforms right now, I'm looking at your weekly volume, and I'm sure you see these specific dashboards as well, too. As we're speaking right now, it seems that your volume has spiked highest than it's ever been before this week. Anything that you could think of that might be uh, causing that? Yeah, we started to see significant volume coming from integrations. The top integration right now is DBank. Uh, which is a meta aggregator or an aggregator of aggregators. Uh, so people are quoted for the price of uh, decentralized exchanges plus the price of the DEX aggregators like Paraswap. Um, but I could be biased about this answer, but we have a very, very competitive prices. So we saw some big volumes coming from DBank. Uh, the biggest we saw is something like $2.7 million in, uh, in 24 hours. So those are, I would say, um, I would say we also try to also tune up our algorithm in order to find um, better prices. And those are very hard uh, problems to solve. Uh, they can, I mean, if implemented in a naive way, uh, they can take a long time, uh, actually a very long time to, to get solved. And the challenge for us and also other aggregators in how can we minimize this time so that we can run multiple iterations in order to uh, maximize the price. 
So those are the, I would say, what's uh, taking half of our time in, uh, in how can we tune up these algorithms in order to uh, improve our price and deliver a better service for the end users. And as we're wrapping up, I would love to, if you could, I know this is obviously you're working on a lot of different things. We talked about, obviously, the governance token as well, too, going forward. Anything in the roadmap in the next three, six, you know, nine months that we should be all watching for, keeping our eyes on as you continue to add, you know, different uh, API uh, capabilities or functionality on there? What should we be keeping our eyes out for? So right now we are focusing on layer two. Uh, we announced recently our partnership with uh, Stockware. Uh, the goal is to uh, build on layer two and the main motivation are how can we better serve uh, those partner wallets uh, that have a lot of uh, users making average transaction of two to $300, uh, which today cannot afford to use neither centralized exchanges, no decentralized exchanges, nor uh, tax aggregators. And the idea is to make gasless transactions while keeping it, um, I would say, safe and also economically uh, making sense for all the parties, for end users getting best prices, uh, what it's monetizing, and us also having a, sustain a sustainable business model. So gas, as you alluded to, has been something that has plagued, if you can use that terminology, I'm using it as a very uh, kind of divisive you know, terminology. Gas has been high, and obviously gas has been high because there's been a lot of utilization of the network, especially on layer one. And so you're mentioning that your partnership with Starkware is to effectively help lessen the load on the end user in terms of the gas that they have to pay for those transactions, correct? Yeah, that's the main motivation right now is the gas. Uh, it will also come up with uh, high scalability, like uh, we can make more transactions than, than on layer one. But I would say this is a bonus, uh, at least how we see it in Paraswap. TPS is not really the main motivation, but gas is definitely is. And it's now what's, ha what's happening is uh, we see small users between codes uh, going back to centralized exchanges. Uh, and this is not what we want in DeFi. So, we think that layer two will bring back those users and also create more incentives for them to stay on, on, on DeFi. Very interesting. This was a great conversation with Munir, the founder at Paraswap. Again, this is one of just a handful, if not maybe one of two, that are really in this world of aggregation of this liquidity of the decentralized exchanges out there. Um, and obviously they have seen some you know, spectacular growth over the last few months as the world has paid attention to DeFi and to the ideas behind yield farming. I always like to say that this has been a very grand experiment and experiments are good things. And I, I hope people do not take that as a derogatory uh, comment. Experiments are great because we learn from experiments. We tinker, we continue to make things stronger. And in the future, we have hopefully learned from those things and we'll have something even more robust and even more enjoyable and even more economical for everyone else out there. So Munir and his team have definitely been a part of that. I appreciate you coming on the show and hopefully we can catch up with you again in a few months and see how things are going. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, David, for having me and talk soon. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. 
Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.